Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, yay. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone, or post-Thanksgiving. Um, I want to open with a quick story. I've been sharing it to a few people that I've uh, run into this morning. So if I've already told you this, uh, apologies in advance. But as I was backstage just listening to everyone worship, which, by the way, kudos to all of you, to hear your voices just singing out to the Lord is just so such a blessing to me. But anyways, as I was backstage and I was um, thinking about how to open what I want to share with you today, I was reminded of this story. So um, I've eaten more pie in the last three days, like hand on my Bible, swear to God, like in the last three days, and I have eaten in an entire year. Seriously, I've eaten more pie. My wife is a baker. She makes great pies. And we hosted Thanksgiving this year, so she just did a lot of pies. And when you host and people leave, they leave the food oftentimes with you. And so I've just had pie for breakfast. Anyone? (laughs) Pie for lunch. Pie for, okay, all the time. So here's what, this is where the rubber meets the road for me. So I went for a run uh, yesterday. Um, I'm a runner. It doesn't look like that, obviously, but um, I go out for a run. So I'm out running yesterday, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. Um, I couldn't finish my run yesterday. I felt so bad physically. Like I'm a mile from home and I'm wearing really short runner shorts. Put that in your mental image. And it's about 42 degrees and it's cold. And I'm a mile from home and I'm done. I'm like, I'm just going to walk home. Maybe somebody will pick me up like a hitchhiker or something. And I'm walking back and I'm asking myself, I'm like, why, why can't I run? I mean, I run this, this route all the time, all the time. And the Lord speaks to me. He's like, Jeff, because you've eaten like garbage for the last few days. Now, you don't need the Lord to tell you when you're eating like garbage. But to me, it spoke to me. And here's, here's what I want to say to us. Um, so many of us in the room have been eating spiritually like garbage lately. Like the things that we, we feast upon and that we, we think are bringing nutrition towards us spiritually are in fact just satiating some, some desire that we have internally. And it's actually not the best sustenance for us. Now, um, just by all the deadpan looks that I see coming back at me, is this resonating with anyone? Right, you don't have to raise your hand. You can, right? <laughs> I see that hand. I see that hand. And, and that, that is maybe what I think the Lord wants to address with us today. And, that he, and he would do so in a very loving and compassionate way. And there would be no shame. And that we wouldn't walk out feeling condemned by some of the things that we give our life towards. And some of the things we look to for spiritual guidance that aren't in fact godly. Um, I'll just go ahead and throw this out there, just by way of comedic relief. But tomorrow night, when we decorate for Christmas, like we would love for the church to come help us do that, right? Or, wait for it, or you can watch the third season of whatever on Netflix tomorrow night, right? It's up to you. You choose. 
Okay. All I'm saying is that I think the Lord wants to give us some real spiritual um, words today. So that being said, we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be reading in Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two, we're going to read verses one through 20. If you don't have a Bible underneath the seat around you, you might find a hardback black Bible and you can use that Bible today and you can flip through it. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. You can take it home with you. We want to give it to you as a gift. And we'll put more under the seats uh, when we buy some more this next year. So that being said, what we're about to read today is a very common passage. This is sort of the birth narrative of Jesus. We call this the nativity scene, which I don't know if you know this, but nativity scene is sort of a, a redundancy because nativity means, and I looked this up this week because I did not know what nativity meant. Nativity means the circumstances surrounding your birth or a birth. And so as we've been working through the book of Luke so far this year, we've been We've read about the nativity of John the Baptist, and now we're going to read about the nativity or the circumstances regarding Jesus' birth. And so this is a very common passage, but may I remind you, just because it's very common, let's not check out in it, right? Let's lean into it and see what the Lord might show us in it. So that being said, I'm going to read all 20 verses, and you can follow along with the words uh, on the screen behind me. And then we'll, go, we'll pray and we'll go through a few things together. Luke writes this, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, up to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, while they were there, verse 6, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, now in the same region where they were, shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among um, those whom, with whom he is pleased. Now, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, verse 19, she treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, all they had heard and seen, as had been told to them. Whew. Familiar passage, yes? Some of those verses are so common to us. 
Um, let's pray together and see what God might show us today. So Lord, we come before you asking for help, asking for spiritual nutrition, as we've already talked about, and that we might find ourselves built up and encouraged in this story, this age-old story that is oftentimes so repeated, it loses sometimes its impact to us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and that we could be changed people because of the work that you're doing. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for everything that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple of things stand out to me. Um, I don't have time to go through all of the verses and kind of pick out some things, but a, but a few things just sort of leapt off the page as I was reading this past week. The first is this, is that the word census or registration, like in the first seven verses of this passage, we see registration mentioned four different times. It's mentioned more, it's given more time, if you will, on the page than the actual birth story of Jesus himself. So it makes you think that Luke, the author of this story, is wanting us to have some understanding here. That he mentions the registration that is decreed by Caesar Augustus. While Quirinius was governor in Syria, while all this was taking place, people had to go to be registered. And a registration was just a census that the people would have to be counted by the government. And Caesar was the emperor of Rome. And they would take these censuses, since I, I have no idea, <laughs> censuses, whatever, they would take these things to, met, to count all of the people. They'd go one, two, three, right? And they'd, they'd count all of them. And this would be used for taxation purposes and for military service. Now, the Jewish people did not have to serve the Roman military. They had a religious exemption, but they still had to be taxed. And so Caesar puts forth this census decree that says, I want to count everybody because I want to make sure next year when we take taxes that we're getting everything that we need. And it just shocks me because Luke is drawing attention to what, what, what one commentator said was the penetrating overlordship of Rome in this story. That Luke is drawing our attention to that, that Mary and Joseph are just lowly, uh, peasants, if you will, just lowly people. And the two other people mentioned in the first four verses or so is Caesar Augustus, the highest ranking official in the Roman Empire, and Quirinius, the, the, the governor of Syria, the region that Judea is found in, and that, you know, all that. So all I have to say, there's some juxtaposition between the two lowly people, Mary and Joseph, and the two high ranking people in the government. And, and it's like, it's like uh, Luke wants us to be reminded that when Jesus came into the earth, that he came into a very difficult time for God's people. Uh, Joel Green is a commentator um, I've been reading and really enjoying in this book of study here. Uh, so he said this, all of this was just a reminder of alien rule and the ensuing demand of tribute sign of loyalty to the emperor, which compromised fidelity to Yahweh. All that to say is that Rome was declaring or demanding allegiance and Yahweh is demanding allegiance as well. And sometimes, like, one wins over the other. And you have to see what Luke is saying here. Uh, Caesar Augustus made a decree that everyone gets counted. Like it or not, you do it. And in verse 3, it says that all went to be registered in their hometown. And included in the all is Mary and Joseph. They had no say in this. 
had no say in what was taking place in their lives regarding to this overlordship of Rome. And yet in the middle of that, there's a backstory happening that Mary's in fact pregnant, a promised pregnancy from Gabriel the angel coming and says, God is going to put a son inside of your womb and he's going to do so supernaturally. And that son inside your womb is the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ, the one who will come and save his people. And you'd never know it by looking at them because they mount up the U-Haul and they pack their stuff and they travel 90 miles right up to Bethlehem from Nazareth where they live and where they're, they're starting their marriage and like you know, probably opening wedding gifts. I don't know, all the stuff. And all of a sudden Caesar comes in and says, no, and they've got to go somewhere else. And so they pack up and they leave and they go into Bethlehem. And these all that is included in verse three is Mary and Joseph, and you can imagine everybody else. And they're in stark contrast to the power of Caesar Augustus and the governor Quirinius. In Luke's gospel and in his book, The Acts of the Apostle, Luke writes repeatedly a major motif, or motif rather, and theme in Luke's writings is this great reversal of sorts that God brings. And I wrote just a few things down through my studies that I just want to share with you. And and let this be food for you. This is what God is doing, right? That there's a great reversal. So God's concern is for the downtrodden and the outcasts. His concern is for the poor, for the tax collectors and the sinners, for the Samaritans and for the Gentiles, the people that are far away from God, that don't even know who God is. In Luke's gospel, if you go back and read chapter one, you'll see that it opens with a hymn of praise from Mary. We call it Mary's Magnificat, where she actually learns from Gabriel the angel that she's going to have a child, and she begins to sing this hymn of praise. And in the praise song, she says things like this, that, that God is going to fill the hungry with good things, verse 53, that he's going to lift up the humble, verse 52 of chapter one. And it was to the barren, verse seven, and to the humble, verse 48, that God was going to manifest himself. Later in Luke's gospel, chapter four, Luke tells us that Jesus, Jesus himself even announced that the spirit had anointed him to bring the gospel to who? To the poor and to bring freedom for prisoners, to bring sight for the blind and release for the oppressed. Jesus would oftentimes tell the religious critics of his day that he's come not for the healthy, but for the sick, because it is sick who need a doctor. The gospel message, the story, this nativity of Jesus is for the lowly, is for the marginalized, is for the left outs. This Jesus ministry, right, that hated tax collectors, right? He would spend time with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. When you read the story of Jesus' life, you have to understand those are not accidents. Jesus, look at me, He was intentional. When he sat with those people, he was doing so on purpose. And there's something in God's heart that we see manifest in Jesus' life when he would spend time with the marginalized, the outcasts, the ones pushed aside. One time Jesus was asked by John the Baptist whether he was the one people were expecting. And he answered with these words, that the blind can see, the lame can leap and the lepers, right, can leap the deaf and all those people, they, have, they are receiving their di- di- divine salvation through me. And for Luke, this all proved this one thing, that Jesus was the one sent by God. 
And so a common motif for us is to remind ourselves, and this is what I really want to spend some time with, hopefully if I have time at the end of the service, is to, to focus our attention as a church onto that call, to focus our attention onto that call for the people that are pushed aside. So I want you to just pause for a moment, and I want you to consider who are the marginalized people in our society right now? I mean, I could give them names. I can give them names. I could, I could help you. I don't want to. Like, who are the people that you think is most shunned by the church? Who are the people that you think don't really have a place oftentimes in the church? Are you thinking of them? <laughs> Just nod at me and I'll move on. <laughs> yes. The message of Jesus is for them. It's for them. We're all sinners. Say amen. amen. I mean, everyone say amen, right? We were all born sinners, I should say. But by God's grace, we have salvation in Christ Jesus. Yes, right? But we're all the same when it comes to sin. We all are deplorable, 100%, right? That's our natural state in this world. But God comes and saves some of us. And there are some people who are still on the fringes right now. Who are those people? Do you work with some of them? Do you live by some of them? Are they in your own family? Are some of them like, do you, I mean, do you know them? Because those people that have been pushed aside, that the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus, hear me, is for them. It's for them. And so Mary and Joseph, back to the story at hand, they travel up to Bethlehem some 90 miles away. I asked myself this question, why did Mary go with Joseph? Typically, women aren't counted in the census. There was really no reason for her to go. The Bible doesn't tell us why she went, so let's just surmise together, shall we? Why does Mary travel 90 miles pregnant on the back of a donkey or whatever to, to give birth in Bethlehem? It's possible that they knew that she was so close to giving birth that, that Joseph did not want to leave her alone, right? He was going to be gone for, I don't know, a week, two weeks, three weeks. We don't know how long they're in Bethlehem. We don't know. But while they were there, she gave birth. So Joseph maybe had some understanding that I did not want to leave Mary behind to deal with this on her own. Remember her neighbors and her relatives probably looking at this young pregnant woman who's going around saying, the baby in my womb is from God, right? I'm still a virgin, ha, 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 right? All this stuff. And people are going, yeah, whatever, Mary, we understand how babies are born. You're just an idiot and you think you could pull one over on us. And, and they're just pushing her aside. You can almost picture it. And Joseph's like, I'm not leaving her behind with those wolves. Like, I'm bringing her with me. Now, in so doing, he also fulfills this prophecy in Micah 5, 2, that the baby Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That's a whole other thing. But just understand this, that God is at work even in the things that we don't think he's at work in. And so the birth comes, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, we don't know how long they were there. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I always in my mind a picture that she, they just got into town, like unpacked the luggage, and uh-oh, right, water broke or something. That's not how the story reads. We don't know how long they were there. They probably traveled from relative's house to relative's house, Hey, it's Mary, it's Joseph. Remember, we're from here. And they're like, whatever, go stay down there at the end. We don't want any part to do with you. We'll talk about that another day. But the time comes for her to give birth, verse 6, and she gives birth, verse 7, to her firstborn son. And she wraps him in swaddling cloths, and she lays him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. 
David Pawson, the pastor and preacher, says this, that the most striking fact of the nativity to me is the utter simplicity of it. If we had been writing it, we would have embellished it with so many adjectives and we would have been tempted to exaggerate the story. But Luke doesn't do so. Two sentences. The time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her son, Jesus. She wrapped him up in some garments and she put him in a, a feeding trough. Next. And, and Luke just leaves the story. And it says in verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds. Um, I asked you earlier to think about outcasts. These shepherds were outcasts in the Jewish society. They were known to be um, oftentimes liars and cheats. They would sometimes take their flocks to, to graze in other people's fields. And, and then they would deny that they had done so. Uh, they weren't trustworthy people. In, in Jewish court of law, the shepherds were not reliable witnesses. Right? They would not be called to testify on behalf of anyone because no one believed anything that they said. Right? So these outcasts, these shepherds, are one of the first people, if, if not the first people, to hear of the birth of Jesus. And I remind you that the message of Jesus is for the marginalized. And it's for the outcasts. And Luke is laying it on thick for us. Don't miss this point. He's writing this letter to Theophilus, a friend of his. His name means lover of God. But those of us that are in the room who love God, we need to hear these words of Luke too. That this message of Jesus is for those left out. It just is. So anyways, these shepherds here, they're keeping watch over their flock. And all of a sudden it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, there are many parallels in all of these birth stories, in John's story, in Jesus' story, and now in this story of telling here, that an angel comes to Zechariah, says, you're going to have a son. Zechariah's terrified, whatever, talk about that. And then we have a, a message where an angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary, says, you're going to have a son, and she's terrified, what's going to happen? And now an angel of the Lord comes to these shepherds in the field. It says they're terrified. So Luke is telling us, Parallel stories, the same story, the same story. And in Zechariah's case, when John the Baptist was told, foretold to be born, Zechariah didn't believe the angel. The angel says, you're going to have a son. He's like, are you crazy? My wife's old. We've been praying for kids for like decades. Like she's barren. We're old. We're not going to have kids. And because he didn't believe, the angel struck Zechariah mute and possibly deaf. For nine, ten months, he was just, shut up. Some people are like, man, I wish my husband would just, Right? Anyways, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. And she believes, she just doesn't know how it's going to happen. She's like, well, how exactly is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. And, she, and the angel's like, I'm glad you asked. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon you. He's going to do this miraculous thing in your womb, and it's going to blow people away. It's going to blow you away. Right? Same story. An angel comes to these shepherds and says, listen, a baby's been born. And it says that they're filled with fear. And all of these stories, there's a response that is, that is offered Zechariah doesn't believe, Mary believes. What are the shepherds going to do? The tension in the story is there. Luke is asking us, how do you think the shepherds are going to respond? Verse 10, the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You can go, and you'll find the baby wrapped in swathing cloths, lying in a manger. Are they going to go and check this out or not? We don't know. 
But before they can make up their decision, verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And they begin to sing this song, glory to God in the highest. And the heaven opens up the glory, the, uh, what the, I think the scholars call the Shekinah glory of God. Just the brilliant whiteness of God just breaks into the desert darkness and just, just explodes. And heavenly hosts just decreeing to, you know, and singing these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When, when Zechariah's son was born, he sang a song too. When Mary found out she was going to have a baby, she sang a song. But when the son of God is born, God wants a, a little exaltation as well. <laughs> and he goes, well, hold my beer. He doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't say that. <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't know. But he's like, check this and opens up heavens, bro. And like, angels in the course, the multitude just scream into these shepherds below and they're like, what is happening right now? What is going on right now? And God is declaring, my son, my son has been born. My son, the Messiah, the chosen one. Go see, go see. Verse 15, when the angels went away from, from the shepherds back into heaven, heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem. Ah, yes, they want to know if it's true. They want to know, show it to me. And they want to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to them. And so they went with haste. <laughs> and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them. They tell them the story of the angels and the glory and the chorus of heaven and the stuff. And it's like, it's just like, they become the first evangelists of sorts. Like you'll never believe the story about God's son. And they begin to testify to people about it. In fact, they're testifying it to Mary and Joseph, which think about this for a moment. If there's two people on the earth who don't need to be proven that God has done something unique in their lives, it's Mary and Joseph. Yes? Right? Have you ever, like, been with someone and, like, see them despondent, maybe depressed, maybe something's going on, you don't know, your spiritual radar is up a little bit, and you're just thinking they could really use some encouragement right now, so you finally just share with them some hope? <laughs> Okay, maybe you don't, but I do sometimes, right? And you just share with them some hope and you talk to them about Jesus and maybe your testimony of your life, how God changed your life and this and that. And then when you're done telling them, they're like, yeah, dude, I'm a Christian. I already get this. And you feel like silly for it. Hear me, every week I get up here and tell people the story of Jesus Christ, that he is God's son, that he's the savior of the world, that he went to a cross on our behalf, that he died the death that we should have died, that he was buried in a grave, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. And most of the people in the room already know the story, right? And yet it is the story God has asked us to keep repeating to people. Hear me, sometimes, hear me, sometimes, when you're sharing something to someone and they're already a believer, they just need to know God's doing something in your life too. They need to have hope in some way because they, they're walking through something. Mary and Joseph have walked through something in their own life and they've been ostracized for it. They, people think they're crazy for it. A virgin. Pfft. And now these shepherds come in from the field with another crazy story. 
And they're telling them everything that's taking place. And all of us, they think they're evangelizing Mary and Joseph. Like, yeah, yeah, we get it. But now both people are encouraged. Both groups of people are encouraged. So with this evangelism, um, it just makes me think, um, how can we, as a church, run the risk? <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong word. How, how should we, can we run the risk of, of teaching this message to, of Jesus to everyone, knowing that some people have already heard it before? Because here's the thing that's, can I just stop for a moment and just tell you what I sense is going on in the church right now? Okay. Okay. So, so Renaissance Church, uh, we are 12 years old. We started about 12 years ago, my wife and I and a handful of 20-somethings started a Bible study in my living room that grew into what you see before you. The Renaissance, Renaissance Church was a church plant. We grew this thing. Several years ago, many years ago, about eight years ago, the church was growing, okay? And someone told me, Jeff, if you add a second service, if you add a second service, you'll double the people that come and you'll double your income. And I went, hey. I mean, this guy's been doing it a long time. He's probably true. I don't know if it's true or not. So we did. The church grew. We were running out of seats. If you guys know the story, we added a second service. Guess what happened? The church doubled in size, and we doubled our income. Praise the Lord. And then we added a third service. And the church doubled in size again, and we doubled our income. And then the pandemic hit. And everyone went home and did church in their pajamas. Right? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Me too. I was doing church in my pajamas too. And, and now people are coming back to church. And I've already shared this with you. So this is, this, if you're visiting, you're like, he's off his rails, probably. Listen, uh, about a month or so ago, the Lord, I was asking the Lord why some people haven't returned to church. And he, he just shares with me, Jeff, they're not coming back to church because the church made no tangible difference in their life. It was one other thing they had to their life that actually didn't change them or help them in any way. So they've decided not to return, right? And I'm like, well, that sucks, God. He's like, it doesn't have to because all of those seats that those people used to take are empty now and, and I'm gonna send new people in. Okay, so if you've been following for a while, would you, would you say it's a little more crowded in here than it was a month ago? Yeah. Amen, right? Here's what we're feeling, that the church is growing again. And this is what I have to say. This is what I have to ask us. How do we want to grow as a church? Do we want to, to attach ourselves to marketing campaigns and, and ideas? Or do we want to just teach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, died for our sins, right? was buried in the grave, and raised from the dead? Right? Because here's, here's what I'm, I'm learning, is that when you're faithful to that message alone, then God brings the people alongside you. Because that's the message of hope. That's the, the message that transforms people. I can stand up here and we can put together a six-week series. This is going get, to get me emails, and I apologize. We can do a six-week series on how to make your marriage better. We can. I prefer to just talk about Jesus. And not that you can't do both, but I'm just telling you, there are people who do that and do it well. Jeff ain't one of them, I'm just saying. And I just talked about myself in a third person. That was very strange for me. I'm just not one of them. I want to teach Jesus. I want to teach him alone. And you know what Jesus will do? Jesus will lean into your marriage. 
when you start giving him room in, in your life, he'll start saying things to you like, Jeff, why are you such a jerk? How's come you respond to your wife that way? Which, by the way, the Lord would say, is my daughter, excuse me, <laughs> and you won't respond to the woman at Panera that way. That you somehow give her more, more um, care and kindness than you do your own family. Jeff, why is it okay to lie to your children about some things instead of just apologizing to them and tell them you made a mistake? We could go on and on. I'm telling you, if we teach Jesus Christ and that message of hope, and he will bring the people here. So that being said, this whole week, as I've been studying for this message, I can't shake that idea that God is asking us to tell this story to the, mis, the, the, the mistreated, the marginalized, the pushed aside ones the ones that, that some people don't want to come to church with us. I'm not going to put names on those people, but you know who they are. And they have every right to the message of hope that we do too. Like seriously, and I love you, I love you, but if you're looking for a place that just makes you feel good when you come, like, I want you to feel good. That sounds like, he wants me to feel bad. I don't. But if that's all you're looking for, I don't think we're going to be the church for you. There's 140, 160 other churches in the city. I know a lot of the pastors. I'll help you find another one. I'll help. Jesus Christ has so transformed my life. And when I read this story time and time again, there's no other story. This is it, people. This is it for us. So I, I, I'm going to stop because I can see I'm losing some of you. And um, the Lord also told me today that people are going to be upset with some of this. So it's okay. We can still be friends, Right? And some people, the Lord would say, don't want to be stretched this way. It's okay. I don't like to stretch after runs either. <laughs> but if I don't, the next day I can barely walk up and down the stairs. A couple of years ago, I stopped praying. This is going to sound so strange. I stopped praying... Um, okay, Jeff, Jeff. Here's what I want to say. I have come to be reaffirmed in my belief that the hope for our world, the hope for my city, the hope for our nation, the hope for the world is in fact Jesus Christ. It's him. So I, I no longer pray for particular uh, political parties Right? I engage in the, the process of voting in this now. In fact, I've never felt better voting this last midterm election than I felt in years. Like, I loved it. It was great. I walked out of there going, I did something. I voted. It was amazing. My hope ain't in a political party. My hope's not in a social system or organization. My hope's in none of those things. My hope is in Christ Jesus.
and the message of Jesus to the marginalized and they're going to come and it's going to make some of you mad. Here's what I'm telling you. This is what God's asking me to do for the church. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not doing this, then we shouldn't be doing anything in my opinion. Well done. So, let me, um, yep, I'm finished. So, let's, <laughs> yay, we made it. If you're visiting, it's not normally like this, but it felt good. Yes, amen. So, I hope, I hope you feel nourished spiritually. I hope you feel nourished spiritually. I hope it's okay for you, right? We're a, we're a church about Jesus. We want to be about Jesus. And I hope if, if you come back next week, we're going to talk about Jesus again and again and again because he's a big deal. So we love you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. Guys, we go back into a time of worship that we would declare our allegiance to you, that even though there are things on this earth that pull us one way or the other, that we always know that the direction that you're pulling us is the best one. And if we could learn to delay gratification, if we could learn to delay even our own joy sometimes and just follow you faithfully that in the end it's going to work out for us Lord yes, we love you we trust you everything that TJ was saying earlier about God having a plan for us it is true it is so true and it is his plan and may we join him in it so Lord bless the rest of our time and may you be blessed in our uh, songs of praise to you and we pray these things in Jesus name amen Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 